0: Thanks, Chuck. What's the key to success? What is the key to success? Is it your IQ, how smart you are? Or maybe how hard you work? Or maybe or perhaps if you work really smart and hard, what is the key to success? Every NFL sports analyst will tell you that in the National Football League, the key to success is having a great quarterback because it's a, a quarterback's league. And Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, who plays for the Green Bay Packers, by all accounts, is a very good quarterback. He is a great quarterback. In fact, he, uh, he's won the, the MVP for the league twice. He's been a pro, ball, pro bowler five times. He was a Super Bowl MVP. He is the all-time leader in NFL passer rating. But last year, he got sacked, tackled behind the line of scrimmage 46 times. Hard to be great when you're picking yourself up off the ground every time, isn't it? If you want to be great and successful, you're going to need more than just a great quarterback in football. You're also going to need a good offensive line, won't you? I remember when I was in high school, my basketball coach, his mantra was, do your job. In fact, Bill Belichick, who's the coach for the New England Patriots, says the same thing. Do your job. He tells that if you do your job, if you block out the person you're defending, if everyone blocks out their person, then we'll get the rebound. If you keep the opponent in front of you at all times, then every shot they take will be contested. And by the end of the game, if everyone does their job, then we'll have more points than they do. Do your job. That's the key to success. But what's the key to success for us individually? Doing your job collectively might be the key success for us corporately, but what's the key for us to make sure we are successful in doing our job individually? What is the key to success in our work, in our marriages, our schools, our families? What is the key to success in the kingdom of God? As we continue our journey through the story, the grand narrative of the Bible, we find ourselves in the book of Judges. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Judges 16, chapter 4, verse 31, chapter 16, verses 4 through 31. But Before I be- begin reading Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 31, I want us to give a little bit of background. If you remember, last week we were talking about Joshua, and, and once Joshua dies, there's this period called the Judges, before they had the first king of Israel. And what would happen during this period is God would raise up a man or a woman, even Deborah will be talking about her Wednesday night. He would raise up someone to help judge or, or lead the people of Israel over victory over their enemies. And so these great leaders, these charismatic leaders would lead the people of Israel to victory over their enemies, whether it was the Philistines or the Midianites, whatever tribe they might have to fight. But what would happen inevitably is after they had won the victory, the people would be uh, repenting and turning towards God. But over time, when the judges would die, people would begin to forget about God. And we read in Judges chapter 17, verse 16 that states, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In our Old Testament text this morning, we look at the most powerful, the strongest judge of all, Samson. Samson, of course, is most remembered for his incredible physical strength. We're told that the Spirit of God came on Samson one time where where he was able to tear a lion apart with his very own bare hands. We're told later that Samson was able to kill a thousand Philistines with just the jawbone of a donkey. Unfortunately, as strong as Samson was, he was just as self indulgent, impulsive, and careless. But in the story of Samson, we begin to discover the key to success in the kingdom of God. So, in order to discover what the key to success is in the kingdom of God, I would encourage you to turn to Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 31. Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 31. It may be found on page 274 of your Pew Bible. Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 31. But before I read God's word, let's call upon His Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you inspired men to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. We pray, O Lord, that as we read the story of Samson, you might open our eyes to see what you want us to see and open our ears to hear what you want us to hear and open our hearts that they might be opened and transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts Be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Judges chapter 16, beginning at verse 4. Listen to the word of the Lord. After this, he, Samson, loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arm like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it to tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pin and the loom and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me with these three times, and you have not told, nor t- not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words that day after day, and urged him with his soul, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called the man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and, and his strength left him. And she said to the Philistines, he said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Esteol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now as you read through the story of Samson, that actually begins in Judges chapter 13, we will see that Samson loved a lot of women. He liked a lot of women. But none of these women were good for them, good for him, because none of these women were were Israelites. God is very clear in the Old Testament that that the people of Israel should not marry someone who is not an Israelite, because the temptation for them would then to follow the foreign gods of these foreign women. When we get to Solomon, we will see that that is ultimately what drew his heart away from God. But Samson is very powerful and strong, and so what Samson wants, he gets. After all, he's stronger than anyone else, and no one seems to be able to stop Samson. Ironically, Samson is a Nazarite, and Nazarites were supposed to be self-controlled, disciplined people who would taken a special vow to God. But Samson does not demonstrate a lot of self-control in Judges. Uh, For instance, there's the scene where he's walking by uh, the lion's carcass and he sees that there's honey in there. And he knows that Nazarites are not supposed to come near a carcass because if they did, they might become defiled or unclean. But he sees the honey, he's hungry, and so he dips his hand in the carcass of the lion to eat the honey. Samson is more concerned about his own physical needs rather than the vow that he had made as a Nazarite. Samson wasn't worried about becoming ceremonially unclean by touching a dead body despite the vow that he had taken as a Nazarite. In fact, Samson doesn't seem to worry about much at all. Samson is so strong that it appears he doesn't have to answer to anyone. Might makes right, according to Samson. And so whatever he wants to do, he does. When Samson loses a bet to some Philistines, he ruthlessly strikes down 30 men so that he might take their uh, supplies and belongings to pay off his debt. Samson is a selfish man who squanders his God-given gifts to satisfy his own selfish desires. Samson doesn't really seem to appear to seek God's will. Nowhere in the story of Samson does he ever say to God, God, what is your will? How might I do your will with the great strength you have given to me? Now Samson is motivi- motivated by his own selfish desires and not much else. And isn't that true of our culture today? baby boomers were known as the me generation. Time Magazine recently wrote an article about the millennials or the Generation Y calling them the me, me, me generation. <laughs> in our culture, it's all about me and what I can get and how I feel. Burger King tells us that we can have it our way. We live in a disposable society where if we don't like something, we can simply throw it away and move on. One newspaper article I read about millennials, this next generation coming up, said this, baby boomers wanted stability for their family Generation wires or Millennials, want growth. If they're not growing at the, place, at the pace that they want, then they'll find something else. And moving from job to job every two, three, or five years, you get better titles, bigger salaries, according to Millennials. We live in a very mobile culture, where the goal for most people is their own personal happiness. And if someone isn't happy, then they simply move on. A recent survey from the Pew Research Center found that the, most Americans describe themselves with four adjectives, asked to talk about other Americans. They said that most Americans are patriotic, honest, intelligent, and selfish. The fourth most popular adjective that Americans use to describe other Americans, according to this research, is selfish, selfish. Of course, as a Presbyterian minister, I know we're selfish because we're born that way, right? We're, we're born with a, a sinful nature, according to Psalm 51. As, as a Presbyterian, I know that we are totally depraved sinners, that in and of ourselves there's nothing that would lead us to pursue God. We need God to come to us and reveal himself to us so that we might follow him. Yes, almost everything in our culture tells us that it's about us and what we can get. Almost every advertisement says that if we drive this car, if we wear these clothes, if we drink this beverage, then we're going to feel better. We're going to be better. And isn't that what it's all about, feeling better? Advertisers lead us to believe that it's all about us. And Samson, he thought it was all about him. Nowhere in the story of Samson does he ever pray to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Samson is very impulsive. When he wants revenge, he takes revenge. When he wants to hurt someone, he offers destruction. When he sees a woman he wants, he goes and gets her. And Samson, in his impulsive nature, guided by his feelings and not the word of God, carelessly tells Delilah the secret to his strength because she's wearing him out with her guilt and her constant questioning. Samson feels tired and he just wants her to stop. Samson fails to think through the consequences of his actions when he tells Delilah the secret to his strength. Samson is impatient and impulsive. He's led by his feelings and what he wants, not the word of God. When Samson tells Delilah his secret, Delilah arranges for Samson's hair to be shaved. Samson is then captured by the Philistines, unable to fight them off as he had in the past. And God abandoned Samson. And the most depressing verse in all of our passage was verse 20 that you see up there, where it says, he, Samson, did not know that the Lord had left him. In his selfish pride, Samson doesn't even realize that God's presence has left him. Samson is too focused on himself and his own wants and his own needs and his own desires to see that God has left him. The Philistines then gouge out Samson's eyes because Samson is helpless to defend himself. And Samson is then forced to spend his days pushing a millstone to grind out grain as a blind slave. The powerful Samson has been humbled. Samson's humbling uh, experience is proof that as Proverbs 16, verse 18 tells us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Before his humiliating experience, Samson thought that he didn't have to answer to anyone. And so he was proud, but his pride preceded his destruction. But now Samson has been humbled. And in his humble state, Samson cries out to God in prayer and says, O Lord our God, please remember me And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now the truth is, Samson's not really known as a praying man. There's only one other prayer that he prays in the entire story of Samson. It's found in uh, Judges chapter 15, verse 18. Here's the prayer that Samson prays then. He says, after he had defeated a thousand Philistines, he prays to God and says, O God, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Notice that Samson recognizes that his victory is because God is with him. That God is the one who has ultimately given him the victory. As Proverbs 21 through 31 states, The horse is made ready for the day of the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. In our lives, if we want to have success, if we want to, to be successful in the kingdom of God, yeah, we can work long hours and we can try real hard, or we can recognize, as King Solomon recognized, the wisest king in all of Israel, the history of Israel, that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In our family life, if we want success, God alone must help us build our families, In our businesses, if we want to have a business that glorifies and honors God, that makes an eternal difference, then we've got to make sure that God is the one who is leading us in our business, in our lives, in all of our relationships. We, like Samson, we need to pray that God will will guide us and show us how we might live sacrificially for the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, the key to success is actually found in sacrifice. Notice that in Judges chapter 16, the greatest victory that Samson has in his entire life is actually found when he sacrifices himself. And he pushes those pillars so that he might, as he says uh, in verse 30, let me die with the Philistines. Samson is able to kill more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. Samson realizes and comes to discover that ultimately success is found in sacrifice in the kingdom of God. And as followers of Jesus... Don't we know that to be true? For the greatest victory the world has ever seen came at the cross of Christ when Jesus, who is without sin, with outstretched hands, died as the sacrifice for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the victory in Christ if we simply believe in him. As the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 to 58. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always surrounding, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." Sin and death no longer have the final say for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord. Christ has, has won the victory for us through his outstretched arms. Just as Samson with his outstretched arms was able to offer a sacrifice and defeat malef- many Philistines, the enemies of God, Jesus with his outstretched arms was able to pay the price for our sins. So that we could be reconciled to God once and for all. And then on the third day he rose again so that we might experience the victory, the new life, the eternal life that Christ came to bring that begins at the moment of belief. Yes, our relationship with God begins the moment we declare Jesus Christ alone as Lord. So how do we live? Are we living as sacrificial servants of Christ? Are we still living as selfish Americans, doing what we want rather than considering what God wants us to do? Did you know that the average Christian in America only gives 2.43% of their income after taxes to the local church. 2.43%. I've read the Bible many times through. I've never found 2.43% in it. I found 10%, but never 2.43%. In fact, it's interesting. Even in the Great Depression, the average Christian in America gave 3.3%. That was during the Great Depression when everyone was suffering economically. What has happened? How is it we've gone from 3.3% and not increased that, but rather decreased that to 2.43%? Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You're going to have to decide. Now there's nothing wrong with money. In fact, money can be used for great kingdom purposes as you're going to hear about in a moment as Kim Talley and Hutton Sharp talk to us about uh, God's work through the youth ministry of this church. Money can be used for great purposes but we can't allow money to be our God. We've got to love God and then use the money God gives us for the sake of his kingdom. When we fail to give to God what God deserves, our relationship with God ultimately suffers. But when we give our time and money to God, Our heart follows. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like when you invest in Apple stock as a company. You become very interested in that company. You'll read every article that you can find about Apple because you want to know that your stock is is heading in the right direction, that the company is growing, and so your stock will be more valuable. You even begin to purchase more Apple products so that you can support that company and its profits. The same concept is true in the church. When we give our time and our money to God, We are demonstrating our commitment to God, and our heart follows, and most importantly, our relationship with God actually grows. Yes, success in the kingdom of God is found in sacrifice, humbling ourselves and seeking to serve rather than be served. As Jesus says to both John and James and to all the disciples in Mark 10, verse 45, it's the verse on the front of your bulletin. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John and James would come to Jesus and said, hey, I want to sit at your right and I want to sit at your left when you come into your kingdom. They're seeking power. They're seeking influence. But Jesus says, no, that's not what the kingdom of God's about. It's not about being served. It's about serving. It's about pointing others to the reign of God in your life. Who is God calling you to serve today? Your spouse, your child, your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates, your friends? In honor of Christ's great sacrificial service to us, how can we help put the needs of others before our own and treat them the way that we would want to be treated so that God might receive all the glory? Husbands, how might we serve our wives this week? By simply asking the question, how can I help around the house? Children, how can you serve your parents by honoring them and having first-time obedience? The first time they ask you to do something, to do that, not because you have to, but because you want to, out of gratitude for all that they have done for you. My wife tells me that, and I believe her, women are wired to be nurturers. My wife has a nurturing spirit. She's a very nurturing person. She loves to serve. It's her primary love language. But after serving year-end and year-out and not feeling like people are grateful, you you can begin to serve without joy. Joyful service, according to Scripture, as we find in Colossians, is found in recognizing that it's not the person we're serving, it's Jesus Christ whom we serve. And we serve him out of gratitude for the way that he first served us. What is God calling us to sacrifice today? Who is God calling us to serve today? Are we willing to follow God and his call to sacrificial living Are we willing to say yes to Jesus? Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Whatever you want me to give, I will give. Wherever you send me, I will go. Out of gratitude for Christ's great sacrifice, we need to humble ourselves. And like Samson, we need to pray. We humbly need to pray that God will guide us in how we might sacrificially live for the sake of his kingdom. Putting the needs of others before our own. Remembering that in the kingdom of God, success is found And sacrifice. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the model of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for the story of Samson that helps point us to Christ, for in his sacrifice, he was victorious. And in Christ's sacrifice, we are now victorious. So Lord, help us to live into that victory. Help us to follow the example of Christ who came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Out of gratitude for all that you have done for us, O Lord, help us by your spirit to put the needs of others before our own, to treat them the way we want to be treated so they might see our good deeds and give praises to you, our Father who's in heaven, so they too might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we're in the midst of some transition in our youth department, but we're really excited about the opportunities. And Kim Talley, who has 20 plus years of youth ministry experience, is here with us. And Hutton is here with us this morning, uh, who works under Kim Talley, to share with us what God is doing in the youth ministry and how the Lord is continuing to guide us as we seek to make disciples of our young people today.